Turn in your Bibles now to the Word of God found in Ephesians chapter 2. One of the most glorious passages of grace in the Bible, very clear. May the Lord bless also the preaching that the message would expound what is there rather than obscure it. Hear now the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you... He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his work of art, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. Yes, they are hard to hear, but yet they're important that we understand our state in Adam, our state in ourselves. But also we rejoice in the contrast, on the contrary, you. So we thank you, Lord, for that clear teaching here about your grace, about your involvement with us from eternity to eternity. You are God, and you are working your will. And so we pray that you would help us to bury this deep in our hearts, that you would do so, that you would sow the seed, so that the fruit would be thankfulness. We would be rejoice, we would rejoice in your grace, in your involvement with us, that ne- you said you'd never leave us or forsake us if we believe in you. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to trust in you. And we thank you also that you've created us to be your work of art, the masterpiece. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to do that work in us, that the things that we do would glorify you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, last Sunday we had a visitor here, 
And uh, he told me a piece of information I did not know, that a person that I know, and actually a person that, used, that has attended here off and on, passed away in a motorcycle accident. And, and uh, I talked to Dan, and Dan said, oh, yeah, I heard about that. He already knew about it, but I didn't. And it was uh, actually a relative of him that told me. And what was my first reaction? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What happens when you go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, I have something to report to tell you, you have cancer? What's your reaction? Oh, no. Tell me more. What kind of cancer? Is there any kind of cure for that? It's bad news, isn't it? Oh, no. I'm going to die. Maybe soon. But is it good news to hear that you have it and that there's a cure? What happens if you don't receive the report that you have cancer, there's a cure, and you die? Would you rather hear the bad news? In our text today, it begins with the bad news, doesn't it? Y'all are dead, right? That's what he says. And I like what he says because he says not only y'all are dead, but I was dead too. I join you. In that. In Adam, we all died. That's what Paul is saying. If you are not in Christ, you are dead in trespasses and sins. You are separated from God. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is, but God, who is rich in his mercy with his great love with which he loved us. While we were yet dead, Christ came and died, and he applies that. Is that good news? Is that the solution to the problem of cancer, in a sense, the bad news? And the answer is yes. So Paul is continuing on in what he's been saying in chapter 1, but he starts off with the negative in order that the positive is more beautiful. You know what I'm talking about? If you go to a jewelry store and you're looking at diamond rings, do they put the diamond rings on a piece of paper for you to look at? Is that where they put paper out or something white and they put the diamonds in something white or in something black or red velvet or something dark? What do they do? Have you ever been to a jewelry store? You have? What, what, what do they use as the background? Black. Why? Because it causes the, the, the ring to shine, the diamond to reflect. Your focus is on the diamond, not the background. What Paul is doing here is he's painting a black background. This is reality. This is where every human being born, every human being conceived, is born in Adam. This is the state of all men. But God... That's the diamond. But God, that's the gospel. That, but God, that's the grace of God. That's what he's doing here. So let's back up for a minute and just remind ourselves of what we've been covering. What Paul has been doing as he has been writing to the church, and if you remember in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
in Christ. And then he goes on to expound on what that means. So if you just have your Bibles there with me, uh, follow along. He says, the Father has chosen us in Christ before uh, for the purpose that you should be holy. He predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ. He made us accepted in the Beloved. The Son has redeemed us, and we are forgiven of our sins according to his blood. Bound for uh, uh, with the abundance of grace, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's gathered all things together in Christ. He's re- he has received the inheritance, and he grants unto us faith. And then verse 13, the Holy Spirit seals this to us. And then he goes on, and we've been looking the past couple weeks in verses 15 through uh, 23. Paul prays earnestly that the church might fully comprehend these blessings. So that's what we've covered the past few weeks. Here's the grace of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you understand this, that you comprehend it, that you grab it, that you hold on to it, that you rejoice in it. So what is he doing now? In order to help you with that, Let's go back and realize who you were. Without this, you were dead. That's what he's doing. My uh, summary is kind of long this time in the in the uh, bulletin. So many try to escape the consequences of sin by attempting to live in the world of their own creation. Is that true? Do we, are we tempted to either create our own reality or uh, we're tempted to run into another reality, be it on the Internet, TV, books, whatever? Do we do, we do that? I can't handle life. I need an escape I want to create something different, and so I create my own reality. Is that Would that be a good way to describe the 21st century person? We live in a fantasy world. We live in a world that's not necessarily true, but made up of our own mind. You have your faith, you have your truth, and I have my truth. But there's no absolute truth. There's only, it's all only based on the individual. Is that kind of language spoken today? Okay. Uh, oh, your truth offends me. Well, that's because it's the truth. It's not my truth. But God declares that such thinking and living is foolishness. For he says, the fool has said in his heart, no, God, no, God. He goes on to say they are corrupt and they have done abominable iniquity. There is none good, no, not one. In our text, the Apostle Paul further expands on this truth and provides God's alternative perspective and corrective, namely his wonderful grace in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I like that. Doesn't that sound good? God's perspective and corrective. Okay, That's the text today. Here is reality. What we're reading in chapter 2 of Ephesians today is reality. It's not made up by Paul. Paul in his flesh... Which, when he was dead in trespass, said would reject this. Remember his testimony. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was righteous in all the works I did. Now I count them as trash. 
that I may win Christ and be seen in him. So the first point, dead. God reveals your great need apart from Christ. All of us are dead from this perspective, from God's perspective. What does God mean when he, through Paul, declared that all all mankind is dead in trespasses and sins? In some ways, this statement is your death certificate. You ever thought of the Bible as your death certificate? We lost a son a little over a year ago. We had to wait months to finally get the death certificate that he had officially died and that this is the reason why he died. When did, when did, what do we have here? We have your death certificate and my death certificate. And you who were dead in trespass is in sins. And again, even when we were dead in trespasses. You ever thought of the Bible as including your death certificate? Ooh. Most people don't like to do a will because they don't want to think about death, right? We try to escape it. We don't want to think about it. Yet it's helpful. And this is not the only place where he says this. If you go down further in chapter 2, verse 11, Therefore remember that you once, uh, you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by those which are called circumcision made in the flesh. And at that time you are you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Paul says that we Gentiles, most of us here are Gentiles, we were without Christ, we're outside of Christ, we had no hope, We're separated from God. He doesn't just say it there as well. If you go to chapter 4, in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, being alienated from the life of God. What does that mean? If I'm alienated from life, what am I? I'm dead. So he says it three different ways. We're separated from God. We're alienated from life that is in God. We are dead. So Paul, why are you so morbid? Is it important to know our state apart from Christ? Is it important to know that without Christ you were dead? You were separated. What happens when you physically die? Will all of a sudden magically now be united to God? Is there a second chance after death? Does the Bible teach that? The answer is no. It's appointed unto men once to die and then comes judgment. So this is, uh, Paul is being that physician. 
How are we dead? Well, Paul says in our text, through, trans, uh, through trespasses or transgressions and sins. Here's a way of describing it. Do you live your life consciously attempting to do so according to God's revealed will? Do you? Now, now I'm, I'm talking about in Adam, in your previous. Did you before grace consciously live every moment of your life looking for and to understand what God's will was and try to do it? Is that the natural man? The natural man says, God, I want to do your will. Is that natural? Or is that supernatural? It's supernatural. Right? At least that's what God says. Sin is violating God's will for you. God created you for his purposes. Sin is living for yourself and not for God. Furthermore, he not only reveals to you through his word, but he also reveals to you about himself and his will in creation. Where do I get that? Romans chapter 1. The invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that are, are made, even as eternal power and divinity, so that we are without excuse. The Greek word is apologia, or a defense in a court of law. No man can go into the court of God, uh, God's court and defend himself by saying, well, I did your will, I, I served you, I did these things. Why? What's your motivation? What's your goal when you do things? And so God has shown himself, what do we do? We suppress that knowledge and unrighteousness, Paul says. Chapter 2, you know God's will. He has planted it in your heart. You know that you're guilty and judgment is coming, and so you suppress those truths. That's the natural man. There's nobody that says that's, that truthfully says, I don't believe in God. There is no God. I can't, I don't believe it. The Bible says that person is a fool. And that's a moral category. Not just a crazy man. That's someone who said, who's speaking against reality that he knows because God has placed it to, in him. So what does uh, uh, Paul go on to do in chapter 3? He summarizes this. You do not truly seek God as he would have you to do. So he summarizes that all mankind is under sin. Under sin. The problem is, is that we have a tendency to uh, ignore that and, and compare ourselves with somebody else. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. That person's a murderer. I haven't killed anyone. Well, if the wages of sin is death, what have you done every time you sin? You've committed self-murder. You are guilty. You go to prison. You go to death row. Is there any prison still have a death row? Is there, is there any prison in the United States? Is there still a prison that has death row? Do they still execute people? Okay. There he is. If you were to go to them and go to a, one of the prisoners on death row and you were to ask them, are you, uh, are, the, are you the most wicked person in the prison, they would say what? No. I may be bad. I may have done this, 
but this guy over here, he's worse than me. And if you were to go to him and say, well, what do you, are you the worst man in the prison? He would say, no, he's worse than me. When we compare ourselves to each other, we come off very self-righteous. But what does the Bible say? Our righteousness are as filthy rags in the sight of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, Paul says. And Paul isn't making it up. He's quoting the Psalms. Old and New Testament say the same thing. God, through Paul, further explains what it means to be dead in trespasses and sins. And he says, according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Actually, the order is the world, the devil, and the flesh. Notice that in verse 2. In which we once walked, conducted our lives according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of, of the air, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the desires of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and, of my, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We all fail to do God's will, right? This is a very unpopular message today, is it not? I'm not that bad. He's worse than me. Right? And we presume upon the goodness of God. That's the frightening thing. So I, you and I, in our natural state, are at war with God and his revealed will. Therefore, we are alienated from life that is in him. We are dead without life. That's what Paul is saying. In our natural state, born in Adam, raised in Adam, unless God intervenes, we are separated from life, we are dead. You are dead if you haven't trusted in Christ alone for salvation. At least that's what God says. You understand the serious nature of what God is saying right now through his word. Why such a black picture? Because we have verse 4. But God, on the contrary, God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, these two words, but God, these two words in and of themselves is, a, in a sense, contains the whole gospel. You hear that? But, on the contrary, all that bad that I just said, but God. On the contrary, God's intervention. That's grace. He, he thought this so much so that he preached four sermons in a row on this passage. But God, verse 4. Four sermons in a row. You wonder what the congregation thought after four sermons on the same. Would you want me to preach four sermons in a row on but God? If you understand what it's saying, yes, it's the whole gospel. It's the good news, but God. We, but God. Dead, but God makes alive. Four sermons on that word. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but God extends life to you through Jesus Christ. 
But God, who is rich, abounding in mercy, unlike Allah, Allah, who is the most gracious, most merciful, at least that's what the Muslim prays. You read the Quran, it begins with, oh, Allah, most merciful, most compassionate, and then you read the rest of the chapter, and there's no mercy, there's no compassion. It's almost like a cry, please be merciful. No, hear the declaration, God is rich, abounding in mercy. Not because of anything we have done, anything that we could do. Mercy is not earned. Mercy is the opposite of justice. Justice is what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's the definition. God in his mercy did not judge us, judged his son in your place. Even when we were dead in trespasses, verse 5. Notice the second thing. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. You were dead without life. You were dead, and God raised you to life 2,000 years ago, if you believe in Jesus. Why? 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're in him, you rose with him. Christ rose again from the dead. We are made alive in him. We are dead, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is able to raise those dead in trespasses and sins. Is that what Paul is saying here? Is this important to you? Is this the solution to your cancer that you've just been told you have? Here is the solution. It's Jesus it's the gospel. It's Jesus, what he is and what he's done. He rose, He died. He rose again. Isn't this wonderful? He's alive. I'm alive in him. I know we know this, but do we, do, do we, do we bring it to memory? Do we say thank you? Do we rejoice in it? Or, oh, that's, that's, that's the old gospel. Why are you, what's new? No, 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 no. This is, Essential. It is the power of God into salvation that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1, the gospel of Christ. It is through the gospel that dead men and women, boys and girls, are made alive together with Christ, are raised up together, and are made to sit, did you see that? In heavenly places in Christ. So where are you right now? Well, I'm sitting here in Dickinson, North Dakota. Well, that's true. You know that you're in heaven also? If you're in Christ, where's Christ? He's in heaven. Are you in him? Then you're in heaven too. Your, your position, your place, your eternal place is with Christ in heaven. I'm not making this up. Look at it again. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive, regenerated us, brought us to life. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Glory, glory adios. 
Glory to God. Right? I am in Christ. I am in heaven. That's my home. I'm already there because he's there. And what does he said? I will never leave you or forsake you. Why? Because we're in him. We're there with him. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Paul writes. Nothing. Can you separate yourself from the love of God? No. Okay, You're a created thing. right? Romans chapter 8. So, how do we get that? For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, how do I, how do I get that? It says there, through faith. For by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith. So, does God call you to believe? The answer is yes. Faith is involved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Where's that? Is that in the Bible? Did Paul say that to someone who was saying, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Is faith involved? The answer is yes. But notice what he says in verse 8. Where does faith come from? And that faith is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So what do I need to do? Cry out. Help. Right? What's the shortest prayer in the Bible? Help, Lord. Right? And we have an example of that with Peter. Help, Lord, I'm drowning. It's a simple prayer. Help. Didn't we sing, uh, I raised my Ebenezer earlier? What is an Ebenezer? Stone of help. God help. Turn from that which brought you into the state of death, your sins, your self-will, your self-serving. Right? We all do that. And even as redeemed in the Lord, do we fall back into those things? Do we, do we, yeah, that's sanctification, the work of God. Bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Does the Bible say that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord? Is that in the Bible? Will it happen? Will the unbeliever have to bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, if it says every knee shall bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, do you want to do it now, willingly, or then, unwillingly? Every knee shall bow. Jesus Christ died on the cross, took the punishment and separation we deserve for our sins. Every one of us needs to hear this and respond. Now, some of you are going to say, well, okay, I've already heard this, Pastor. Thank you for, for sharing that. I've already, I believe, I'm trusting, I'm resting. What about me? What does that have to do with me? If you haven't got it already, the command or the encouragement they have is what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Celebrate. Say thank you. Right? Is that the best way that we can, when we get a gift, what's the best way that we can respond to a gift? What does your mama tell you? Say thank, thank you. Right? I gave you candy today. Did you say thank you? He did. I think you did. 
right? What about the greatest gift in all the world? Salvation and life from the dead. How can I, what, what do I do? Nothing. I don't need to do anything. It's not faith plus works, but what, but works follow. Thank you is the way. Rejoice that you are alive from the dead. Rejoice in God's riches, rich mercy and his love shown to you. Rejoice in his grace. You were dead, but now you are alive. Go back to this passage and review these things. This is where I was, and this is where I am now, and you will never leave me or forsake me. You've done a good work in me. Well, you will complete it. Who's doing the will? God will complete it. Well, what about my difficulties? What about the things I'm dealing with? What about the, the struggles? What about being told I have cancer? What do I, if I, you know, what about these things in life? How do I handle them? Don't they overwhelm what I'm talking about here? Isn't that the foundation? Is I'm alive in Christ? Who can separate me from him? Can death separate me from death, from him? Can anything man do separate me? No, he's in control of everything. He's working all things together for the good, for them that love God and are called according to his purposes, right? My confusion that I'm dealing with right now, God can work all that. The struggles that I have for with the, the besetting sin, he's greater. What does it say there in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. He's the workman. He prepares the things that we do. He is preparing us to be that he actually is making us his masterpiece. He's making you his masterpiece. He's the master, the greatest artist. He created all. Do you ever sit back and just look at the clouds? We had some beautiful clouds uh, yesterday. Wow. He paints with light. He created everything, all the beauty. And you're more important than that. You're his greatest work of art. Have you ever looked at yourself that way? Why do you know? Well, because he used the tool of his own son who died on the cross so that you could be that work of art. He's shaping and molding you by personally by the Holy Spirit abiding with you. He is doing that work. Is that amazing? I'm a work of art created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now we're called to work out that faith. How do we do it? Having compassion on those around you. Again, we live in a zombie apocalypse. What do I mean by that? Are we walking among other dead people? If Paul, what Paul is saying is true, are there unregenerate people that we work with that are walking dead people? They're animated, they're living a life, but apart from Christ, they're dead. We live among a bunch of zombies. What has God called us to do? Show compassion to them. Live the gospel. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. And when God gives an opportunity, share by word and deed what he has done for you. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom 
for many. What about you? Are you ready to lay down your life for others? If you're in the military, isn't that part of what we do when we honor a, a, a when we properly honor a Medal of Honor winner? Why? Because they are willing to lay down their life to save a fellow soldier. Jesus Christ calls us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Do you realize that you've been entrusted with this gospel, with the very power of God? He raises people from the dead, and he employs us in the process. You're an instrument, a work of art. You have the opportunity to raise people from the dead. Now, that, that sounds kind of charismatic, doesn't it? Do you do it? No, God does it. But does God choose to use foolish instruments like Paul and Peter and, and you and me? Who gets the glory? God does. We have opportunity to proclaim the gospel. God saves sinners. It's not a destructive power. It's a recreative power. It's a resurrection power. Isn't that the, one of the most amazing things? It's entrusted in our care to share the good news. There are those that are ignorant, those who fear men, those who are lost. What are we called to do? Well, we're just beggars telling another beggar where to find bread. Right? That's sharing the gospel. Right? We don't have to have all our theology all worked out and everything else. Hey, I have this. Here's how you get it. Here's the bread store. His name is Jesus. Again, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it is Christ who is strengthening me and he's doing the work. And I went on longer than I normally do, so I will. I have pages I could do much more on this, but I think that uh, you get the message. Uh, let's, let us ask the Lord to give us that ability to rejoice, right? And if you don't know him, to believe and trust in him. Amen?